But like Kyle said, we do want to uh, thank all of you for uh, uh, being with us this morning. Uh, it is uh, it is kind of uh, cool to be back uh, worshiping in person with everyone. Uh, as 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 neat as it was to see what God did during that online presence, and and we still have the online presence, but. Um, it was really interesting to see how God used what was an otherwise not good situation and actually kind of turned around uh, for his glory and for his kingdom. But like Kyle said, happy Father's Day to all of our fathers. And, and again, this is exciting to be worshiped with everyone again. I'm excited about this new series, three questions that people have about God. And these three questions is, who is he? Who is God? Is it worth serving God? And does God have a plan for me? And the reason that I chose those three questions is because I think that they're, they're pretty much questions that everyone has, whether someone considers himself a Christian or a Jesus follower or a church person or not. Even if someone doesn't even consider themselves a Christian or if they don't go to church, I think that there's a part of everyone that ponders uh, this idea of, is there, is there more to life than this? The idea of whether or not there is a God, and if there is a God, does he exist, or is there an afterlife? But that shouldn't, that shouldn't surprise us because the wisest man who ever lived, a guy by the name of Solomon, said this one time in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 11. He said, he, and he's talking about God, has also set eternity in the human heart. Now that's just a, a poetic or philosophical way of saying that we're all hardwired, as it were, to want to know if there's a God or if there's an afterlife out there. Inherent in all of us, there, there's that thing that just kind of wonders about that. But here's the deal. We all already have an idea or picture of who we think God is and what he's like. And that idea, that understanding, or that picture was shaped in large part by someone else's answer to that question, who is God? Whether we asked someone for that answer or not, maybe we did. Maybe as a child or maybe at some point in time we asked someone like myself, a, a preacher or a pastor, or maybe if you grew up Catholic, maybe you asked a priest. Or maybe you asked just a friend that you knew went to church, who is God, all right? Or maybe you did, maybe you didn't, it wasn't solicited, maybe you just uh, were driving down the road and heard some uh, radio preacher or Bible teacher, or maybe you got on the internet and were looking at people's answer to that question, who is God? But all of us already have an idea, a picture in our mind of who God is like, all right? Because, and that's important to note, because what we think about when we think about something impacts how we feel about that thing. I'm going to say that again because that's important. What we think about when we think about something impacts how we feel about it. Because oftentimes our past experiences dictate our current attitude, right? So if you had a good experience with something or someone, uh, or if you were given a good answer to that question, uh, you're good to go. But if you were given a lame answer or maybe no answer to a question you had, that is going to impact your life going forward. When I was a kid, I was swimming with a bunch of my friends at uh, the, the original uh, city pool in Lawrence, which was off of 6th Street behind the A&W root beer stand. It's called Olympic Pool. It was a huge pool. And one day, someone brought this huge tractor tire inner tube to the pool and threw it in there. Well, that was, that was like a magnet to the kids. So immediately, all the kids started swimming over there, and it, kind, it kind of became a... Not a king of the hill game, but king of the tractor inner tube game. You know, because kids are climbing up there, and you know, people are trying to climb up and they're knocking people off. So I wanted to get in on this action, you know. So I, I'm swimming over there, and uh, it was by that time there was already a bunch of kids on there. So I'm looking for a place that I can climb up there. 
So I, I, I was going to go into the middle to the inside of the tube to see if there was a place I could climb up. And I, so I went underwater. When I tried to come up, I couldn't come up because the inner tube was there. And so I swam one direction, and I tried to come up, and the inner tube was there too. And I, and I started panicking because it's like wherever I was moving to try to come up for air, the inner tube was moving with me. And uh, it, it, it traumatized me, just being honest. It, it traumatized your pastor. To this day, when I see a large uh, tractor tire inner tube, I kind of freeze up a little bit, see? Because that's kind of a past experience for me that wasn't good, so I kind of default to that, right? So I was able to finally find an opening and come up. But, again, that kind of traumatized me. And we're kind of like that. If we had a bad experience, or in this case, if we were given a wrong or a bad answer to a question, that does kind of taint us, right? But, see, that, that truth holds true with people as well, right? It holds true with people. Uh, what you think about when you think about someone determines how you feel about them, right? So question, what do you think about when you think about God? What do you think about when you think about God? When you got up this morning and thought, oh man, we get to go back to church and worship together uh, as a corporate uh, church again. When you, when, you, when you thought about coming to worship God, what did you think of when you said that name, God? What did you think of? What comes to your mind when you hear the word or the name God? If we were to go around the auditorium and, and, and have people weigh in on that question, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that we would have a lot of different answers, but I think that there would be some similarities as well because I think that all of us kind of tend to view God in, in, in certain ways. For example, I think that for some people, the thing that comes to mind when they hear the name God is a referee. Right? Not, not literally, not literally, but come on. Aren't there times we tend to view God as a divine referee up in the sky, watching over the game of life, just, just to kind of, you know, making sure that we're towing the line, so to speak? And if he ever sees us, you know, step out of line or, or you know, uh, commit an infraction, whatever that would be, you know, blow the whistle, throw the flag, right? Hey, I saw you went to that party last week. 15 yards. Hey, I heard what you said about them. That's a personal foul, 10 yards and loss of downs, right? Do we kind of tend to at times view God in that way? We don't want to, but I think that over time we come to this place where we, we become performance-oriented in our relationship with God, and that's something that God never intended for us to do. That's one of the most puzzling things. In, in all my years of pastoring, over 30 years of pastoring, it, it amazes me how the longer people walk with God, the less grace they give to themselves and to others. You ever notice that? The longer we walk with, I don't know if it's kind of we get prideful, I don't know if we think we know all the answers, but the longer we walk with God, all of a sudden we know it all, so, you know, we, we become the Holy Spirit sheriff. And that's sad, and that's unfortunate. And you don't like being around those people. And I know you don't want to be one, but you don't like, no, give me those newly, give me the new converts. Give me those people that are glad and they understand that they don't deserve what God gave them. Let me hang around those people anytime because they understand the grace of God, right? Now, the problem with viewing God as a, refer, as a referee, among other things, is you can't get close to a referee, right? By definition, you can't get close because referees are supposed to be unbiased. So you can't establish a close relationship with, with a referee. <clears throat> I'm good friends with a referee, an excellent referee by the name, by the name of Mark Samsel. Mark, if you're watching, I just gave you some love there. 
But I'm good friends with Mark Samsel, not because he's a referee. I'm good friends with Mark Samsel because I know him, I've known him since he was a kid. He lived up across the street from us. So you can't really view God as a divine referee because there's no relationship there. And I think sometimes we tend to view God, people tend to view God as this divine referee up in the sky trying to make us toe the line. Or maybe your view of God is, is more like this, like Alexa God, right? Alexa God. Like, he, like God's this divine Alexa that, that, that's up in the sky somewhere, and we can call out to him in times of need, right? When we need an answer, God's there to help, right? Just like, like you know, we say Alexa, right? We, we have an Alexa, and we, we use it for a shopping list, which is great because, you know, you, you want to you put something on a list while you're thinking about it. So something comes to mind. You say, Alexa, put butter on the shopping list, right? And so you put on these things, and then something else comes along, you think about it. The funny thing is, Alexa, if you say something more than once, she, she remembers it more than once. So later on when you ask, Alexa, what's on our shopping list? She'll, and if we said butter twice, she'll go, uh, she'll go, uh, uh, she'll go meat, uh, she'll go Windex, and then she'll go butter, butter. So we know we better double up on butter, right? But I think sometimes we tend to view God as this divine Alexa in the sky. We're not sure exactly how it works, but when we have a need, we'll lob up a prayer just to see if it takes right, just to see if it sticks. We're not really sure how it works, but, you know, just in case, we want to we make sure that I have our bases covered, right? Then there's some people that might view God as someone like this, Morgan Freeman and Bruce Almighty, right? A very uh, wise, stately-looking older gentleman, right? Very dignified-looking, a, a character that exudes wisdom perhaps, but maybe just a little bit of, you know, maybe a little senile, you know, maybe he forgets our prayers, so we have to ask him again, you know, something like that, right? Uh, listen, this is a God that he loves us, but he doesn't really, he's not really relevant. He's kind of disconnected from our daily lives. So even this view of God is not real healthy, you know, because, you know, you don't want to wake, uh, you know, want to wake, you know, Grandpa God up. We, we come up every Sunday morning and wake him up with our worship, and then when we leave, he goes back to bed. I think sometimes people kind of tend to view God like that. So what do you think about when you think of God? See, that's an important question, dear ones. More important than you might realize. Here's why. How you answer that question will greatly influence how you relate to him or even if you will relate to him. If you view God as sort of a, a heavenly referee, how intimate of a relationship are you going to be able to have with that type of God? What type of relationship are you going to be able to cultivate with a referee God? Or if you view God as a divine Alexa, that's just kind of tucked away over there on the, the table in the corner of the room, right? What kind of relationship can you cultivate from that? Not much. So back to the question, what do you think about when you think about God? Because if the thing that you think about doesn't encourage you, if the thing that you think about doesn't uplift you, then I'm proposing that maybe you were not given a very good answer about who God is. So as we begin this brand new series, Questions About God, I want us to begin by addressing the most commonly asked question about God. Who is he? Who is he? And see, we all have an answer to that question, and our answer is based on what we were taught about God. But everyone, now listen to me, if your answer to that question causes you to view God as less than you'd hoped for, or less than you'd hoped he'd be, then you were given a wrong or lame answer to that question. Let me say that again. If you think, if you, if who you think God is, is less than who you hoped he'd be, somewhere along the line, you picked up a bad or a lame answer to that question. What do you think about when you think about God? And if you're here this morning, 
you're watching and you're not sure God even likes you, somewhere along the way you were given a bad answer to that question. If you don't think or believe that God wants to be actively involved in your everyday life, somewhere along the way you got a bad answer to that question. If the idea of growing closer to God in a loving relationship doesn't excite you, somehow you got a bad answer to that and you're still struggling with the residue of a bad answer to that question. Now, the really cool thing about answering this question, who is God, is the fact that God really wants us to know who he is. That's the good news. God wants us to know who he is. He's not playing a game of charades. You know, he's not, uh, two words, first word, no, no, no. No, it's not like that. He, he doesn't dangle it on a, on a carrot, on a string, and we get close to it, pull it away. Oh, you almost had it, you almost had it. No, God really does want us to know who he is, right? So even from the very beginning, we see that in the Bible. When you begin with the book of Genesis and you see the creation, then we see one aspect of God is, well, God is a creator. And then as part of that creation, he creates Adam and Eve. And so then we kind of see this aspect of, well, God's a, he's a creator God, but he's also a God of relationships. And so on throughout the entire Bible. And then we get to the New Testament, right? And it, it appears as though God's tired of giving these cryptic answers about who he is. So he finally says, I'm just going to show him full front who I am. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ. Right? And he says, if you want to know, and Jesus said, if you want to know what the Father's like, look at me. Because if you've seen me, you've seen who? The Father. Jesus said that. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. But there was another occasion where Jesus revealed to us who God was, but he did it in the context of teaching about prayer. Right? It was one of those moments where the disciples obviously saw or heard something uh, in Jesus that, that they didn't have because he, he, was, he went away to pray and, and something was going on there because when he got back, they're like, hey, why don't you teach us how to pray? And keep in mind, these were, these were kids. These, these guys grew up as kids learning how to pray. They, they recited prayers growing up. That's what Jewish boys did. So it's not like they were unfamiliar with prayer. But yet when they saw Jesus pray one day, they're like, man, he's got something that we don't. So when he came back from praying, they said, hey, teach us to pray. So Jesus said, sure. And the first two words out of his mouth, this is huge. After the disciples said, teach us to pray, the first two words out of his mouth were, our Father. Our Father. And then he goes into the teaching on the, Lord, on the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, you want to know how to approach God? You view him as your father. Now think about that, dear one. When Jesus was asked to describe God in one word, he chose the word father. He could have used any word. He could have used any metaphor. He could have used any illustration, any example. But he chose the word father, which at the time, was that was absolutely unheard of. Because that was at a time when people didn't even say the name of God, right? I mean, even the high priest couldn't come close. He could only come into God's presence once a year. So, you know, this was during a time when, you know, the, the father, I'm sure the disciples were like, what? And they had to blow their mind. But Jesus said, if you want to know what God's like, you need to think of him in terms of father, right? Which is interesting. Now, the reason he did that wasn't to emphasize the gender aspect of God. This isn't a gender deal, right? Because the Bible says that, we're, that God created male, both as male and female. So this wasn't a gender deal. This, this, was, about, this was about relationship. This was all about relationship. He says, you want to know what God is like? He's like a loving, caring father would be. And it's interesting because Jesus would continue to use that word over the next three plus years of his ministry and his life. 
how he must be about the Father's business. On another occasion, or a few occasions, he said that he came to show us the Father. In fact, the Apostle Paul picked up on this uh, truth and actually kind of kicked it up a notch one time. In Galatians 4, verse 6, he said, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of, God, of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. In other words, when the Holy Spirit resides within us, it will give us a desire to have a loving, endearing relationship with God as our Heavenly Father. Not just Father, but Abba, Father. Paul says, Abba, Father. What's Abba anyway? What is Abba anyway? And I'm not talking about that cheesy one-hit wonder band from the 80s that sang Dancing Queen. No, sorry, all you Abba fans. No, this is, this is a Hebrew term of endearment. It, it, it would be like, instead of walking into the room and saying, What's up, Father? It would be walking, hey, Dad, what's going on? That is what that term means. Abba. It, it, it's a deep level of relationship. Very informal. right? Pops. Whatever term you want to use. That's what Abba, Father means. So what do you think about when you think about God? Because if Jesus was correct, all right, and we'll give him the benefit of the doubt, okay, because this is the guy that predicted his death and resurrection and pulled it off, all right, so we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. If he's right, if we really want to understand what God is like, that we need to view him as Father, then we need to answer that question. What do we think about when we think about God? Right? What do we think about? And if you begin to view God as your Heavenly Father, how would that change your life? How would that change your life? If you begin to view him as a, as a daddy, papa, Someone who was committed to you. I like that last song we sing. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Let's say, I'm a child of God. Say that. One more time. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. All right? Now, before we go any further, I want to address a couple of mindsets that are, that are probably taking place right now. One of those would be uh, what those of you who uh, maybe you're familiar with that prayer and with the concept of Jesus as your father, but you don't really believe it. You're familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Most people are, whether they go to church or not. But you don't really believe that. Therefore, you've never really fully embraced it. And then there might be those who the idea of relating to God as their Father is not only not appealing, in some instances, maybe even be frightening. And for those of you in that category, my heart aches for you. And I, and, and I do feel bad that your Father either wasn't there for you or took off, or was a jerk, or whatever. But what I want you to know is, when, when Jesus said, if you want to know what God's like, you view him as Father. When Jesus used that word Father, he wasn't talking about your earthly father. I want you to understand that. He was talking about the Heavenly Father. The Heavenly Father. Alright? So, what did Jesus mean when he said that the first thing that should come to, to our mind when we think of God should be Father? What did he mean by that? I think he meant three things. First, it means that he loves you. It means that God loves you. John the Apostle tells us in 1 John 3, verse 1, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The Old English uh, translation of that says, Behold what manner of love. Those of you that are old enough to remember the old charismatic days, that was a song. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us. Used to sing it in a round. But look at that, behold. In other words, look, look. Step back and soak it in. Relish in the truth that God loves you so much that he considers you one of his children. 
one of his children. This past week, we were watching some of our grandkids while they had worship practice, so I got to hang out with uh, Jules and Bossen a little bit. And at one point, uh, Bossen asked if I would go outside with him. And uh, so I forgot what I was doing, but eventually I said, okay, yeah, let's go outside. So I'm thinking, you know, we're going to go outside, and he's going to want to play catch or want me to chase him or, or do something like that. So we go outside, and uh, he immediately goes over to this little toy dump truck thing and starts playing with it. And I'm like, well, why do you want me to come out? And I felt like the Holy Spirit showed me at that point, that's what it's about. Sometimes God, he just wants to be there. He just wants to be there, just just the recognition. And I think that he wants us to cultivate that type of relationship where we're, we, we're comfortable taking God with us anywhere we go, anywhere we go, that we're comfortable with doing that, right? He loves us so much that he is committed to us, and we, we just, he just wants us to love him in the same way that, yeah, we'll just take him with us anywhere that we go, right? King David the psalmist, who had a pretty close connection with God, said God's love was better than life itself. Psalm 63, verse 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. And I know the pushback for some of you when you hear that statement, God loves you, it's like, yeah, but, you know, I, I, I've heard that before, but you don't know what I did. Yeah, I know, but. Right? I know that there are times that, you know, personally, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of taking God's steadfast love and forgiveness for granted. And, and I, th- I think I forget how big of a hurdle that can be for someone that's never made that connection with God. Years ago, not long after Sue and I got engaged, we had come back up from Dallas. From, we were going to Bible school, and uh, we came back up to uh, visit my family. And one day I went, uh, <coughs> went fishing with an old buddy of mine, and uh, so he came by to pick me up. And so I introduced him to Sue. I said, here's my fiance Sue, you know, and... And so we talked for a little bit, and so then I got in the car, and we took off to go fishing, and we pulled around the corner from my dad's house, and he pulled over and stopped. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? And he looked at me, and he said, i got to ask you something. And I said, shoot. And he said, does she know, talking about Sue, does she know what you used to do? And I was like, what? Does she know what kind of life that you used to live? Because this was, this was the guy that I used to do some pretty unhealthy things with. But anyway, I, I, I kind of chuckled a little bit. But then it dawned on me. And I, and I said, well, yeah, I mean, I didn't give her the, you know, blow by blow, play by play, you know. But she knows that I didn't come out of my mom's womb, you know, carrying a Bible and preaching or anything like that. Thank you. But, but anyway, uh, it dawned on me. You know, I think sometimes that we take that for granted. You know, we've, we've been either doing the church thing for so long that we forget how unchurched people or people who haven't connected with God how they kind of tend to view how God views them. That, you know, like, well, you don't know what I've done. No, it doesn't matter what you've done. And see, that's the beauty of it. God knows. God knows and still loves you anyway. He knows all of those details of your life, right? He knows that. But that's exactly how God is with us, right? He loves us. He's committed to us. He loves us not because he has to. He loves us because he wants to. Because he created us and dearly wants to have a personal relationship with us, right? He not only loves you, he likes you. He really does like you. So if you have a hard time accepting God's love for you, then you probably don't get this truth that as our Heavenly Father, God loves us, period, period. In fact, that list you've got in your mind right now, that list of things that you point to to say, well, 
I know you say God loves me, but I've got this. I've done this. I've done this. You know what? <clears throat> Paul tells us that Jesus took that list and nailed it. It was nailed to the cross with him. Doesn't matter what you've done. Go ahead and give him your list. That whole litany of things. Doesn't matter. That was that was nailed to the cross with Jesus, right? So God loves us. Second thing. Second thing viewing God as our Father does, it shows that He is with us. He's with you. If there's any part of you that struggles with God's faithfulness to you, then I would suggest that perhaps you don't fully understand the significance of our Heavenly Father's commitment to you. All right? And look, I, I get it. Maybe, maybe someone close to you did take off. Someone who uh, was supposed to fill that model, that role for you. Maybe, maybe that did happen. You know, So I kind of get it. So you're naturally skeptical. In fact, many of our prayers sometimes are consumed with the idea of, of God not leaving us, right? Think about that. Oh, God, just be with me. Think about it. How many times do we pray? Oh, God, don't leave me. Oh, God, be with me. Why are we consumed with that? I think that's probably because of some a way that we were conditioned with something that had happened in our life previously, right? But if that's you, I would suggest that you probably don't understand the significance of God as your father. At some point, we need to begin viewing God through the lens of our loving father, who not only loves us, but is fully committed to us as well. That's the promise of his word, dear ones, that he would, Hebrews 13, 5, never leave you nor forsake you. And then in his final instructions to his disciples right before ascending to heaven, here's what he told his closest followers in Matthew 28, 20. Behold, I am with you always, always to the end of the age. Not only that, not only will he never leave us, we can't ever leave him. Psalm 139, verses 7 to 10. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. In another place, he says, even when we find ourselves in a dark, fearful, lonely place, not unlike a valley of the shadow of death. Remember that psalm? So in other words, we can never get away from God. Doesn't matter where we go. God is going to be there. I'm telling you, dear ones, not only will God never leave or forsake us, we can't ever fully, completely get away from him either. What does it mean that God is our father? It means that he loves us so much. It means that he's fully committed to us and that he'll never leave us or forsake us. And thirdly, viewing God as our father means that he is for us. He's for you. This can be the challenging one here because th this is why. There are probably people listening to this right now and someone has told you or done something that showed you that God is not for you. And because of what that thing was, maybe you believed them. Because people cannot be for you for the dumbest reasons, right? Unfortunately, that we find that to be true. So listen up. If that's you, if someone has told you that God's not for you or if someone has done something to you or in your life that led you to believe that God's not for you, let me suggest that they don't understand the significance of viewing God as their Heavenly Father and the fact that He is for them. Somehow we need to begin embracing the truth that when God looks at us, He doesn't see us as we see ourselves. He doesn't. He doesn't see all the brokenness. He doesn't see all our sinfulness, all of our shortcomings, all that we're not. Right? Those things that we all have that we just keep hidden very well. Hello? Got quiet. No, seriously, we all have that dark, seedy underside, don't we? 
You ever gone and picked up a rock outside somewhere and see all the stuff screwing around? We all have that in us. We don't want to admit it, and we keep it hid very well. But it's there. But when God looks at us, he doesn't see that. Because he's taking care of that at the cross. So in spite of what someone might have told you, or in spite of anything that might have happened that's caused you to question whether or not God is for you, let's settle that right now. He is for you. God is for you. Even after you stumbled, even after you backslid, you know, maybe got back up, maybe got caught up in an unhealthy relationship that went south on you, doesn't matter. doesn't matter what you've done. God is for you. He's not only for you, he's coming for you as well. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is when Jesus actually interrupted a funeral. It's a fascinating story. We don't know the full context of the situation. What we do know is that it was a very sad and tragic story. We're told that it was a widow, so she's already lost her husband. All right, we know that. And I'm pretty sure we're talking about her only son had died. So she's lost her husband. Now she's lost her son. How tragic, pathetic of a scene is that? Jesus comes walking into town, and here's this funeral procession. And so he sees it, and we don't know exactly how it played out, but he goes over, and he actually interrupts the funeral. What are you talking about, the audacity? Jesus goes and interrupts. And as the mom, can you imagine the mom at this point? Already her, her emotions are frazzled, and this guy comes over. He says, stop, stop. Walks over to the young man. And he says two words. He says, get up. And you know what? He got up. He got up. See, what, what the mom didn't know was that the heavenly father, her heavenly father, was just about to turn the worst day of her life into the best day of her life. And see, God will do that for us because he's for us. The moral of the story is, we have a heavenly father who can turn our sadness into joy, who can bring life to the dead areas of our life. So one more time, what do you think about when you think about God? Because if what you think about doesn't include the idea that God loves you, if it doesn't include the idea that God is with you, and if it doesn't include the idea that he is for you, then I'm telling you, you were given a wrong or a lame answer to that question. In fact, the promise of the Bible is that God would give us a new heart. That was David's prayer of repentance in Psalm 51. After God exposed the deep, dark secrets of his heart, right? Lust, adultery, attempted murder, and finally murder. You want to talk about lists? Anyone got a list to compare? I mean, if we're going to compare lists, does anyone compare with David, right? With his list? Anyone's list going to top David's? I mean, come on, if that's the type of God that you want to serve, if that's the type of God you want to believe in, the referee God who keeps score, go for it. Go for it. But at the end of the day, we're still sinners, right? We're still sinners. God's still a referee God, and we're relating to God under that old set of rules where the relationship God with his people was conditional. If you do this, then I'll do that. But that was blown out of the water, people, when Jesus came. Jesus said, I'm bringing a new covenant. A new covenant. No more if you, then I. The new covenant is, I am for you. I love you, period. Period. That's why Jesus said a new covenant, right? I'm telling you, dear ones, if you could see what God sees when he looks at you, it would radically change your life because it would radically change your view of God. And once you get to know God, I mean really, really get to know him as a father, your heavenly father, who loves you more than you'll ever know, 
who's with you more than anything, and he just wants to hang out with you. He's for you. Once you begin to understand God on those terms as your heavenly father, then you'll begin to understand who he really is. Who is God? What comes to your mind when you hear the word God? Because according to Jesus, what should come to mind is the word father, a good father. He's the father you've always dreamed of. According to the Apostle Paul, God should be Abba, Papa, Daddy. So, is it difficult for you to call God Daddy? Is that difficult for you? Why? Why? When we see God as a good father, we realize that these things are true. That number one, he does love us. Number two, he is with us. And number three, he is for us. So of those three, which is the hardest one for you to embrace? Is there something specific that's preventing you from doing that? What I would like for you to do, here's your homework this week. I want you to pay attention to the times that your thoughts don't align with those three things, right? That God's a good father, that he loves you, and he's for you, right? And consider how replacing the opposing thoughts with the ideas that, no, he loves me, he's for me, and he's with me. Because how you think about someone determines how you view and feel about them. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you would, even now, begin to show us that aspect of your of being our Heavenly Father. And anyone here, anyone watching, that struggles with, with viewing you on those terms, Father, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, I pray, Father, that you would give them the grace and power to move past that and begin to view you as the loving, endearing Abba, Father, Papa, Daddy, Someone who loves us and is committed to us, Father. Help us to begin to do that on this Father's Day going forward. And if there's anyone watching, listening right now, and, and maybe you're not right with God, and you know you're not right with God, well, we can take care of that as well. So I just want to ask you to just pray this prayer with me. Just say, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help me. I, I know that I'm not where I should be in my, my walk with you, my relationship with you. I ask you to forgive me for my sins, those, those things, the, the choices, the things I've done, the decisions I've made that have separated me from you and your call and purpose for my life, Lord. Forgive me of those things and help me to begin to live my life for you, Lord. Help me to begin to Walk forth in this life with a sense of purpose and understanding that you, that you love me, you're for me, and you're with me. 